Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's show, we're going to talk about Nintendo's latest earnings report, a little bit about Pokemon Go, and Activision Blizzard is once again our story of the week. But first, let's talk about Apex Legends. So a few weeks back, I discussed a story about Apex Legends being hacked to protest the original Titanfall via SaveTitanfall.com. For anyone that may have missed it, I think it it lasted only about 48 to 72 hours. Apex Legends was hacked. It was made unplayable, and every playlist was identical. All of them pointed out uh, SaveTitanfall.com. Once you went to the website, you learned that apparently there have been major issues with the original Titanfall uh, players couldn't even access the servers and for whatever reason ea is still selling the game uh steam is still allowing the game on their storefront even though once you purchase the game and try to actually play it there are absolutely no servers because it's consistently getting i think uh, either ddos attacked or something that hackers are doing so that the servers are unavailable and for those that Uh, forgot or did not know the original titanfall was multiplayer only which means that the game is pretty much useless now apparently there's a plot twist to all of this happening and i would actually probably say it's an m night Shyamalan twist because last week we learned a community-led investigation unearthed discord screenshots emails texts and other evidence to claim that a small group of hackers were working together to attack Titanfall 1, 2, and Apex Legends, and it was all done to try and bring back Titanfall online. Now, for those that forgot, I had, I even forgot that this existed until I read this story. I said to myself, I don't even remember a Titanfall online, and that's because it was, I believe, quickly canceled after it was announced, but it was supposed to be a free-to-play port of the original Titanfall that was planned for the Asian markets, I believe China and South Korea, where free-to-play shooters are pretty popular out there, even more popular than they are here in the United States. So apparently this group of hackers and group of Titanfall fans came together, and the plan was apparently to hack Titanfall 1, hack Titanfall 2, and Apex Legends, And then those same hackers would then suggest fixes to respawn in the hopes of getting a job and then gaining access to Titanfall source code in order to revive Titanfall online. I think this has hands down has to be one of the this is the stupidest Ocean's Eleven plot (laughs) I've ever heard of in my life. I think even Wally Coyote would stand there and say this is just a really stupid fucking plan. So let's um. Let's break it down really quickly before we move on to the other stories. So the plan was to hack Titanfall 1 and 2, bring the servers down, then hack Apex Legends in order to bring awareness to the servers that you were bringing down on Titanfall 1 and 2. Then those hackers were going to Reddit, public forums, using Twitter to try to play innocent and tell Respawn, well, have you tried this? And obviously they knew the exact things to suggest since they were the ones actually behind the hacks. 
And that was done in the hopes that Reese Paul would say, wow, that's amazing. You guys really know what you're doing. We would love to hire you at Respawn. So then they could join the team, gain access to Titanfall's source code in order to revive and release Titanfall Online. So, And it's a little shifty. I think this report, I read it. Uh, it was Kotaku that was reporting it. I'm not really sure if they... The master plan involved convincing re, convincing EA to re-release Titanfall online or if it was to steal the source code and then release it to the public on their own or whatever. Um, I mean, it's it, it, it obviously is one of the probably the stupidest plans I think anyone could have come up with in terms of what can we do to try to get uh, Titanfall Online back on track. It just, it literally makes zero sense. And um, the plan is really rooted in, I guess, what I think should be considered a false flag. I don't know if this is even a thing, a false flag hack or a false flag operation in order to gain inside access of Titanfall's source code. I mean, if anything, obviously some of the hackers that were accused, some of the people that were publicly accused have denied these allegations. They're claiming, no, we're not the ones behind the hacks, but this is kind of one of those stories that is so stupid. It must be true. <laughs> like I think any other scenario in terms of how this story were to end, I would not accept it. I'm pretty sure this is exactly how it went. The irony of all of this, though, is they definitely set back the team by a lot. And more so once this story probably reached a lot of the employees and the leaders at Respawn, who knows exactly how they're going to respond to this. But uh, obviously, they're not going to be very happy about it, especially it, since it's a group of Titanfall fans that obviously took their obsession uh, definitely way too far <laughs> in terms of doing this. And uh, I mean, Respawn hasn't really responded to this uh, report that was put out. I think, I think this was all put out on Reddit. So I'm not really sure exactly how they feel about it, but I'm pretty sure that they're not happy, but uh, yeah, in conclusion, uh, really stupid plan. <laughs> um, so our first story I really wanted to talk about was uh, Nintendo. So Nintendo released their latest financial statement and announced that as of June 30th, the Nintendo Switch has now sold 89.04 million units and over 632 pieces of software. Now, naturally, their year over year was a bit low since it's basically impossible to replicate what they what they were able to do last year, especially with Animal Crossing New Horizons. For those that forgot, Animal Crossing New Horizons came out in March 2020, and in the first three months, it was able to sell 22 million units, and it ended out the year, I believe, at about 30 million. Now, this, um, to me personally... Uh, the fact that uh, Animal Crossing didn't really move as much as I did at first. And I had tweeted about this. I think I had brought this up 
in last week's show when Nintendo was talking about how, oh, there's uh, Animal Crossing updates kind of, you know, in the future. And uh, I mean, if if I was a, an investor, especially if I, had, if I had a large stake within Nintendo, you know, this would definitely be something that would not even frustrate, it would piss me off as an investor. And I talked about this last week about the... I talked about it in the terms of the, the bag that Nintendo dropped, but more specifically, just the amount of money that Nintendo left on the table by, I guess, lack of a better term, mistreating Animal Crossing New Horizons when it came to post-launch. Now, you know, while the super core users that have been Animal Crossing fans for years, they're probably going to be playing this game for the next five years until the next Animal Crossing when Nintendo Switch 2 comes out or whatever. But the lack of post-launch plans from Nintendo means that all of those casual and semi-casual players that Nintendo was able to pick up during the pandemic, when you look at that number, first three months selling 22 million units, meaning that this game outsold the previous version of Animal Crossing, which was New Leaf, in just three months, I think New Leaf was able to move, I believe it was around 13 or 14 million, something around that number for its lifetime. We're talking about years on the shelf. And this game alone was able to surpass it in just three months. That's nigh impossible that, you know, a lot of those units were the result of core Animal Crossing users and core in terms of having played every single Animal Crossing since this has been released from the original one on GameCube, maybe New Leaf on 3DS. You know, in order to sell that 22 million, it had to have been a lot of casual and semi-casual people that uh, picked up the game because of the pandemic, because of the amount of buzz it was getting. I mean, it felt like every single day until the end of April almost, it felt like every single day Animal Crossing was trending on Twitter for one reason or another. And their lack of post-launch content, I mean, the numbers really don't lie. My perception is one thing, but the fact that within the last quarter, they were only just able to sell 1.3 million copies of Animal Crossing New Horizons. For a lot of companies, that would be a massive success. For a company like Nintendo, in my opinion, that's a massive failure from them. And it reminded me a lot about my personal Animal Crossing experience when I picked up the game at launch. All Animal Crossing games for me have been the same, except for the original GameCube title. And what I mean by they've been the same is that outside of the original Animal Crossing for GameCube, every single Animal Crossing experience I've had has always ended up the same, whether it was Wild World, whether it was New Leaf, in that there's this period of time where Animal Crossing is fresh, it's new, it's fun. You know, you're having a lot of conversations with friends about what they're doing, what they're building, what they found. And, uh, you know, as the game has grown, being able to go into another person's game, like uh, you know, New Leaf with the island hopping and all this stuff and being able to, you know, trade tips and all these different ways to discover the game and the fact that every person almost had this different experience and then you had the 
the whole dream thing, I forgot exactly what it was called, where you could put up a code and you can visit someone else's town. You know, with all of that in mind, though, for me personally, every Animal Crossing hit a wall. And the wall for me was the moment when Animal Crossing began to feel like a job, <laughs> you know? So for anyone that works a regular American job is usually Monday through Friday, eight to five. Every single day you're waking up at whatever, six in the morning in order to make it to work at eight. Once you leave at five, you're going home, you're maybe cooking, you're eating, you know, those five days almost seem like exactly the same. And in my opinion, Animal Crossing hits that wall at one point or another. You know, it's only so many times that you can watch I can't remember his name, Pascal, I think it is, that seagull that washes up on the beach like once a week or this person, you're seeing them once a week or every day you're waking up, you're doing the same thing. You're digging the fossils up, you're, you know, banging all, all your rocks in order to find the magic one. And then you fill up the museum and you, you know, you fill up this other thing, you kind of cross off your checklist and then to me, that's when the game hits a wall. Now, technically, there is no end to the game, but that's the end of the game for me personally. <laughs> and the reason why the original Animal Crossing for GameCube didn't feel that way uh, compared to all these is because it existed during a time where games competed against other video games. We are at a point in time right now in the year 2021 where video games no longer just compete with video games. Animal Crossing on Nintendo Switch has to compete with Fire Emblem that Nintendo released on the cell phone. That has to complete with, excuse me, compete with Netflix. And, um, you know, Netflix has to compete with movie theaters and whatever the latest film is out. They also have to compete with the NBA Finals. You know, everyone competes for your time. And nowadays, if you release a game that is expected to have a very long tail and animal crossing is a game that's naturally built to have an extremely long tail because there is you know pretty much there is no end sequence right there's no end credits there really is no end to the game the goal of the game is just to enjoy this virtual pocket life that you've created for you and all your animal companions and whatever right but for a lot of people like me, casual and semi I guess I would consider myself a semi-casual character, you do hit this wall where, you know, when I was playing Animal Crossing New Horizons, I finished the museum. So then, okay, now these fossils are useless. There are also these other things that people try to do in terms of trying to complete their catalog and getting every single item. But there's so many points in the game where I felt like the game was fighting me, where there was the controls or these very simple tasks that any modern developer and publisher would have already fixed. Like one of my biggest grievances with the game I remember was in order to build something using certain materials, you had to build things one at a time. So one thing in the game was obviously with the seasons, there are these new bugs, these new fish, and some fish you need bait in order to try to increase the chances of getting a certain fish. But in order to get bait, you have to walk around the beach and dig up all these clams one by one. Then you have to go to a workbench. You have to create the bait one at a time. You can't just say create nine 
50 bait at a time, depending on how many clams you have in your pocket, right? So once again, it becomes this cycle. And to me, the end result is just not worth the amount of time that I put into it. And surprise, surprise, it's been a year later. And something as simple as that type of, uh, what do you call it, quality of life update that you would naturally see happening in any other modern video game is not something that Nintendo addressed. And, you know, Animal Crossing is just one of those games where I'm usually baffled by how people can continue to play it day in and day out. But that's been Nintendo's biggest problem, especially when it comes to Animal Crossing and pretty much across the board when it comes to their games is that Nintendo is really still stuck in this really old mindset of you release a game once and then you just don't go back to it. You know, you look at Breath of the Wild and the fact that it had only one DLC pack, you'll notice that the sales of Breath of the Wild have really tapered off. Breath of the Wild, if I'm not mistaken, has still yet to surpass 20 million copies sold. Splatoon 2 had pretty light post-launch content. I felt like the post-launch content was weaker that when the game was introduced the first time in Wii U, right? They really tapered off. They didn't go more aggressive when it came to those, um, shoot, uh, the, the Splatfest, for example, adding new weapons, adding new clothing options, adding new maps, adding new map types, for example. And you'll notice Platoon 2, another game, I don't even think has surpassed 14 million to the point that now Nintendo is making a Splatoon 3. Now we're seeing a Legend, uh, Legends of the Breath of the Wild 2. It, N- Nintendo is and continues to remain the weirdest publisher that we have in our video game industry because of, because of their consistent willful ignorance and their consistent pushback against industry trends where it's almost like a wave you know it's like the 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 biggest tidal wave you've ever seen in your life and everyone's you know running away from the shore to safety and nintendo's the one that's still inside that beachfront home and is just sitting in a chair and will not move until that tidal wave breaks that house on the foundation and just carries it away that's really how stubborn nintendo has been as a company and it's it's still so baffling to me that nintendo can tweet out about animal crossing or pretty much tweet anything and underneath you'll see fans talking about animal crossing where is the cafe where's where's rooster what rooster i think his name was brewster uh where's this where's that new leaf had more content why haven't you guys talked about this what about this feature blah 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 and i don't understand how People nowadays, especially when it comes to pieces of entertainment, have such a high threshold of patience when it comes to a company that obviously does not care. When it comes to Nintendo, it's obvious that to them, hey, we got your money. We really could give two shits about what you guys really want out of this video game. Because I think any other publisher on the face of this earth that sees, holy shit, we sold 22 million units of this game within the first three months. Any other publisher in the world would start taking teams and and taking employees off of different projects in order to bring them back into Animal Crossing to continue to keep keep updating it, 
putting out free content, putting out paid content. I mean, could you imagine how much money they left on the table but not introducing something as simple as a 1999 expansion pack that gives you an entire year of of updates alongside free updates. So it's almost like a year long, I guess battle pass would be the way to equate it. Nintendo is just fucking weird, man. And uh, we also learned that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe remains the best-selling Switch game ever with over 37 million copies. You know, some are surprised by this, but uh, I can tell you Mario Kart is historically at the top of Nintendo's evergreen list for every console it's released on is usually at the top of that evergreen list. And that's really because it's the perfect first game for a younger audience, especially for uh, audiences from different countries like Brazil or Spanish speaking countries, especially um, the consensus has always been the same. Mario Kart is the easiest game for you to pick up and play. There's not really a need to, read too much it's not it, it doesn't matter if there's a language barrier for you there's a menu you click a button you pick your racer and you're already racing there's different levels 50 cc 100 cc in mario kart 8 deluxe they added all of these features to help out even kids as young as four or five in order to finish races successfully i think then they do this thing where like you can't they have like these invisible bumpers where you can't go off the side you can't fall off so all of that adds up to it being their number one evergreen title. And for those that don't know, Nintendo has this internal way that they talk about their games and it's called evergreen title. I don't think it's something exclusive to Nintendo, but that's really the word that they use. And evergreen really means forever green. And and, and the best way that I look, like to look at it is, is money, right? The money is forever green when it comes to these titles, meaning that these games never, ever stop sell selling. We can release it at launch and customers will never stop buying it until we move on to the next console. So the same goes for actually Mario Kart 7 for DS. That game was an evergreen title. It was usually the, 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 the number one game that was attached to the purchase of the console, meaning that when someone goes to the store to buy a Nintendo Switch, Usually, uh, Nintendo has the highest attach rate out of all of the platforms, but usually the first game that they were to attach at launch, it was either Breath of the Wild and Mario Kart. But as I said, Mario Kart is the one with the stronger legs because it is e much easier for a younger audience to pick up Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. You definitely can't say the same about that, uh, about that game. But, uh, you know... One other reason why I want to talk about Nintendo before we move on to our next uh, story is that uh, core Nintendo, I'm, I'm going to say something that I think a lot of Nintendo fans, either they are willfully ignorant about or they probably think I'm crazy and uh, they don't want to believe what I'm about to say, but core Nintendo fans have actually gotten too used to being happy with so little when it comes to what Nintendo provides them with in terms of content within a single game release compared to the amount of content that other publishers put into their games. And what's, what's the simplest way to put it is that FOMO has become such a, you know, grab you by the balls kind of thing. Like it really has FOMO or the fear of missing out as Nintendo fans by the balls as they're the ones that will play Animal Crossing daily 
while still getting on their knees with their hands open, like, please give me more, <laughs> you know, it almost, it, it's almost very similar to like, um, call of duty Warzone. I feel like every week I have to hear from, especially from Twitch streamers about how shitty Warzone is and how the game is rampant and how it's infected with hackers. And they will continually continue to play the game while also talking about how terrible it is. And this is starting to affect Nintendo. And I feel like a lot of people haven't seen it, but I can definitely see it. Because I think that Nintendo is dangerously close to possibly once again repeating history. And that is Nintendo gets to the point where they forget how to lose. And I've I've brought this up before personally to friends. I call it the Golden State problem. The Golden State problem means it's 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 a a term derived from the 2015 Golden State Warriors who entered the NBA playoffs with the greatest record in NBA history, 73 and 9, surpassing the Bulls 70, I think it was a 72 and 10, I think it was was their season. The problem was when they went on that run of 73 to 9, uh 73 wins, only 9 losses, they forgot how to lose. And <laughs> they went on to infamously blow a 3-1 lead against the Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's still in the, you know, the, the lexicon of our, <laughs> of our vocabulary, blowing a 3-1 lead. This is really what it's, uh, it's talking about. And I think that the reason why that happened, the reason why they were up 3-1, then 3-2, then 3-3, was that they forgot how to lose. They forgot about that adversity. They forgot that, about that feeling of what it felt like to have your back against the ropes and coming back together, forgetting about the loss that happened yesterday and moving forward. And this is something that has actually historically happened to Nintendo uh, throughout their history. So uh, it happened with the Nintendo 3DS. If For those that forgot, Nintendo 3DS failed to make an initial impact. They actually had to aggressively lower the price. Uh, Iwata and some other executives historically took um, cuts to their salary in order to make up for its failure. Uh, caused the company to have to scramble to make all these changes, remove the 3D, 2DS, new 2DS XL, new 3DS, and all this other stuff. And it still ended up as the company's worst performing handheld in history, which I think a lot of people forget about. It, um, you know, it sold through 76 million Game Boy Advance sold 81 Game Boy sold over 118 and the original DS actually doubled the 3DS sales at 154 million. And then historically, as we can remember, the same thing happened with the Wii U. They were so successful with the Nintendo Wii. It's almost like they forgot how to lose. And that's it almost feels like Nintendo is currently at that point right now where, you know, You've you've seen it before. You've seen it from friends, celebrities, athletes, where they get to this point where they really feel like they can't lose. It's 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 the uh, the fable of the tortoise and the hare, and it really feels like Nintendo is at that point where they can get away with what they did with Animal Crossing, where they can get away with a three hundred and fifty dollar. OLED edition while still making and maintaining the same profit rather than uh, returning value to the consumer, right? 
Uh, you saw them do it with Super Mario 3D All-Stars, barely touch a game, release it for $60. They did it again with Skyward Sword HD. It was at, at the top of Amazon's list when it released. Uh, you know, they, they barely even touch it. They put it out there and people are calling it this amazing remaster, giving it eights and nines. In my, and, you know, side note, in my opinion, remaster reviews are done very wrong by uh, websites uh, don't debate me on this, but in my opinion, when you review a remaster, part of the number you should give it is not based upon the original game. So if I gave Skyward Sword a an 8 and I play Skyward Sword HD and I'm going to give it an 8.5 because, hey, it's, just, it, it's that same great game that I liked, but I'm going to give it 8.5 because they did these little quality of light changes, blah, blah, blah. That's not how re remake or re-release or remaster reviews should be. You should actually be reviewing the actual remaster itself. You know, you should be reviewing how much more did they put compared to the value of this title compounded by how long ago this game released. If you're a reviewer that is giving this a higher review than you did the original, then you're reviewing this game wrong because technically Nintendo barely did anything and they still charge people $59.99. But that's another subject. But in conclusion, I think Nintendo has really reached this point where once again, they feel like they can't lose and there's really no need for them to compound value onto the consumer. You see it happening with NES and SNES Online where they're barely releasing games anymore. The games that they release are games that pff, I think most people, even me that has been gaming for decades, have barely even heard of, you know, because they're these really, not, I won't even call them hidden gems. They're like, you know, I don't know. I guess some people would consider them diamonds in the rough, but I would just consider them like basically that all the way back in, in the back and complete bottom of the fridge, this, this item that you just completely forgot has been there that whole time, right? Um, and, uh, you, you know, you see it a lot with their releases and the quality of their releases is they've really gotten to this point of becoming this company where it's like, even if a game should and could have stronger legs and and, and better and stronger support from them, They'll just, you know, they'll they'll just kind of be content with taking their money and leaving. And I think it is a result of, you know, Nintendo kind of feeling themselves a lot. You know, then it's really Nintendo forgetting how to lose. Now, I wanted to touch on what has been happening lately with Pokemon Go and fans being upset over Niantic rolling back changes that they made during the pandemic, especially since it kind of goes hand in hand with what I just talked about with Nintendo, which is basically a lot of these companies now gaining so much power and influence over their fan base that they will more times than not choose money over, I guess, uh, making you feel good <laughs> or, uh, or money over consumer satisfaction, I guess is the way to put it. Like basically these companies have reached this a critical point in time because of how widespread gaming is, how accessible it has become, that they understand that they don't have to satisfy a majority of their consumers because 
consumer satisfaction has become such a minority that they can just be quickly replaced by uh, new consumers. So during the pandemic, Niantic doubled the distance your trainer was able to interact with the world, such as spinning poke stops. While there were other minor changes that were rolled back, this was the key change that players wanted to stay. Now, for those that haven't played Pokemon Go or haven't played in a while, usually you would have to be almost right on top of a Pokestop in order to be able to spin it and get those uh, items. I think they regenerate every day or twice a day or something like that. But during the pandemic, since obviously a lot of um, uh, countries were under lockdown, they implemented these rules where they basically expanded the radius of your character on your in-game map and obviously attached to your GPS where you no longer had to be right on top of a Pokestop or a gym in order to interact with it. They basically doubled that radius. So it's not a, it, it, it wasn't something that was such a large change that, you know, I can sit in my house and be able to interact with gyms from five blocks away. But what it meant was that maybe from one corner to another corner in the New York block or something that is right across the street, I can now interact with the Pokestop or the gym. I no longer had to be right in front of that building or even at, you know, some Pokestops are deeper into a building. So sometimes you have to actually step into it. These changes were really what affected that. And then for whatever reason, Niantic decided to regress those changes. Now, what's interesting about this is that this, this change was an extremely positive effect because during the pandemic, I think I, along with a lot of people, looked at Pokemon Go and said, man, this game is really going to suffer. But Pokemon Go has been five years old and they're up to $5 billion in revenue. And last year in 2020, they were able to generate a billion dollars. Now think about that. They were able to generate $1 billion during a pandemic. So it goes to show you that the changes that they made were really what was able to drive them through that point in time, because obviously it meant that people didn't have to um, travel a lot further. They could still have, you know, maybe interact with daily activities from their apartment, you know, especially here in, in New York City. Or it meant that, you know, they could still adhere to that keep six feet away from someone rule because people didn't have to be all packed up on, on top of one another in order to do a local raid or a gym or spinning poke stops, for example. And it's obvious that all these changes had this uh, positive effect where they were still able to really gain a lot of revenue. And uh, Pokemon Go players released a letter detailing why the changes should be a mainstay and then threatening to boycott. Niantic then responded by saying they heard the feedback and that they were assembling an internal team to develop proposals, promising to release findings by September 1st. And the main reason why I wanted to bring this up was two things. Number one was to iterate once again how absolutely useless boycotts are in the year 2021, especially when we're talking about a virtual boycott and not a physical one. But even physical boycotts just unfortunately do not have the impact that they used to have on businesses at one point in the world, right? So let's think about a physical boycott. Let's say uh, a group of people go on Facebook, they got a lot of support to have a day of boycott of Chick-fil-A or maybe like a week of boycott uh, because of obviously, you know, Chick-fil-A's delicious chicken sandwiches, but absolutely horrific anti-gay, um, 
you know, uh, stance that the company has taken. Now, you can stand in front of that Chick-fil-A, you can have your signs, you can have your peaceful protests, but you can't stop deliveries, right? You can only ask people, hey, you know, if you're home, please don't, you know, get Chick-fil-A delivered to you. Or, hey, don't do virtual pickup of Chick-fil-A. Hey, don't, don't go through DoorDash, Uber. Don't go through any of these, you know, uh, people to do this. How successful do you think that, that boycott is going to be, especially when it comes to uh, having people cross a virtual picket picket line, right? When we're talking about a company like right now, I think employees at Frito-Lay are still um, at a work stoppage in order to try to change work conditions at their plants. And it's very different to see a physical picket line, to be an employee and be an official scab, to try to walk through that picket line and cross the line in order to get employment at that company. It's very different. You have much more of there's much there's a much greater chance that that person is going to second guess what they're about to do same thing as someone that's about to physically walk into that chick-fil-a seeing that line seeing the protest seeing the chance hearing what people are saying say you know what they're right let me not eat chick-fil-a maybe that will make them change their mind but boycott for a video game or pretty much any virtual product is is nigh impossible nowadays and one of those reasons has become because of, of FOMO, as, as I talked about with Nintendo, the fear of missing out. At the end of, of August, they're doing a shiny drop. I believe it's a shiny Palkia and some a, another Pokemon. I can't remember. I know it's definitely uh, shiny Palkia and it's shinies that apparently the Pokemon Go community has been desperately asking for, right? And I was watching this YouTube of this really popular Pokemon Go uh youtuber that talks about the game almost daily and apparently he was the, one of the driving forces behind this niantic letter and trying to do a boycott and trying to get niantic to listen and even in his video <laughs> he talked about yeah i think we, i think we should do a boycott you know um and it's kind of sucks because they're making this change and all of a sudden they're giving, they're taking something away and then they're giving us these shiny Pokemon that we've been asking for. But I think we should have a boycott where we don't play, we don't spend. Obviously, we shouldn't do the boycott during the shiny event because obviously we all want it. But, you know, before and after that event. And it, it really, in that sentence, he went to show you one of the reasons why boycotts are useless. And it's because of the fear of missing out. Back in the day, if you missed out on watching an episode of a show or, you know, any, you know, a movie or something like that, your FOMO would last like 24, 48 hours when you go to school and everyone's talking about it. But now FOMO is ever present. It's through text messages, through friends, it's through phone calls, it's through posts on Facebook. It's through strangers talking about it on Twitter. You turn on the TV and the news is talking about the Suicide Squad movie and all these different things. And you go to your favorite websites. Maybe you're playing a you're on your video game now. Everyone chatting is talking about it. Fear of missing out is so prevalent right now that if you want to put Pokemon Go, you also have to put down conversations with your friends. You have to unfollow certain Twitter accounts. You have to stop going to these. There's so many things you have to do in order to shut yourself out that the fear of missing out is just too great. And companies have begun to understand they now have this power over their consumers. Where if consumers were to threaten, if I'm Niantic and consumers say, hey, we're not going to spend money, we're not going to play the game, Niantic knows that in this game of chicken, you will lose. <laughs> Niantic has the much bigger truck 
And in this game of chicken, they will run you over. They will not be the first ones to flinch. The amount of people for a worldwide game like Pokemon Go that you would need to participate in a boycott in order to make even a single dent on um, Niantic's bottom line is almost unfounded. It's impossible because you can't just do a 24-hour, hey, don't spend money, right? You would have to literally do a, hey, guys, don't play the game, don't spend money until these changes are made. And at the end of the day, you just, that FOMO is just going to get to too many people. They will be, you know, crossing those virtual picket lines left and right to keep playing the game. And, um, you know, the, the, the FOMO is definitely one reason why Niantic really won't make these changes or revert those changes. Because once again, they know that you will not be able to help yourself, but to play these, um, these games. And that's really the power that they have over you. And the other thing that the other reason why I wanted to bring this up is that, you know, just another friendly reminder that companies are not your friend. It does not matter how nice a company is, how much you love a company. They only love you for as long as you are a consumer. <laughs> they only love you for as much money as they can get out of you. You know, um, thumbs up, great jobs. You guys are awesome. Clicking on hard buttons, liking and subscribing. Unfortunately, that, that doesn't give my stockholders any more money. That doesn't allow me to grow my company. Um, that doesn't make me as a CEO even richer. So when it when it comes to this change, I mean, it's really simple. When If I'm asking myself, why would the Antic do this? If it's so much safer to do this, why would they want people to get so much closer to these places? Well, it's it's really simple. Number one is data collection because Niantic is, is on, has a mission and the mission is not to give you the most fun experience of a game. Their mission is to, to continue uh, creating the most substantial uh, augmented reality platform that they can. And the more people that play, the more that you're walking around, the more that you're interacting, the closer that you're getting to real life places, the more data that they can use to build out their, their dream scenario as a company. Uh, and the other thing is that that's how they make money. If Starbucks uh, pays me $20 million so I can drive people to Starbucks because if you spin their Pokestop, you have a greater chance at a shiny Pikachu, for example. Um, Starbucks wants assurances. They want to know that, uh, hey, people have to be either right in front of my store or inside of my store to spend that Pokestop because the reason why I'm paying you $20 million is I want people to walk to my store, walk in, and then from there I can hook that customer and sell them a $5 cup of coffee, right? That's really what they want. I don't want, I'm not paying you $20 million so the, the, these kids can uh, spin my Pokestop from across the street at McDonald's, right? That's That's not really what I'm paying for at this point. So when it comes to seeing you guys satisfied and happy and saying, oh my God, Niantic is listening versus uh, an extra $20 million or potential being able to continue growing this company, they're always going to choose money over consumers. Never forget that companies are not your friend. And last but not least, let's talk about Activision Blizzard and the week that they had. But before we do that, I want to briefly touch on a story coming out of Fulbright, which is the acclaimed studio behind Gone Home. And uh, the current game that they're working on is Open Roads. And last week, they announced co-founder Steve Gaynor 
was stepping back from his role as creative lead and manager, but they didn't really outline why until Polygon released an article to fill in the, br- the blanks. Since work on Open Roads began in 2019, 15 employees have left the studio, mainly due to Gaynor's treatment towards women on the team. At least 10 of those 15 were women. These former employees say they did not experience or witness sexual harassment or explicit sexism, Instead, they said the studio's toxic culture hid behind the veneer of inclusivity as women were allegedly repeatedly broken down by microaggressions. Plays, I would definitely suggest you guys go to Polygon and actually read the article because it really breaks down um, more examples that I'm going to be able to give right now. Quote, this is going to sound like a joke, but I'm completely serious. Working for him often felt like working for a high school mean girl. His go-to weapon was to laugh at people's opinions and embarrass them in front of other people. Apparently, the company also had no dedicated human resources employee other than the occasional third-party consultant. Now, following the mass exodus, (laughs) just to show you how far this went, following the mass exodus of Fulbright employees in 2020 and 2021, the leads remaining at the company were tasked with hiring new employees. Two sources told Polygon that they were hesitant to hire the qualified, talented women who applied for the roles out of fear of how they'd be treated by Gaynor. Now, imagine being this massive piece of shit to women. So Steve Gaynor was such a horrible person to the women that worked at the company that the people in charge of hiring found candidates that were perfect for the positions that they were looking for. The only problem was that they were women and they did not hire them out of fear of what they would have to go through under Gaynor's leadership. That is insane. Now, I've spoken on the subject regarding Activision Blizzard before and brought up kind of this undeniable fact that men within this industry, whether it's development or outside of video games, pretty much anything that exhibits, uh, excuse me, inhibits video games, males have this undeniable privilege in the video game industry. Now, Fulbright is a small team. No more than 20 employees. It started off with like five, but obviously more games have to get more employees, especially with this game that they're working on, which is Open Roads being published by Annapurna Interactive. They're able to have to to get better funding in order to to hire more people. No more than 20 employees at a time. Remember, 15 employees quit within two years under this man, Gaynor. Now, Steve Gaynor, as I mentioned at the top of this article, stepped away from the day-to-day activities of being a creative lead. But this man was not fired. He actually still works for the company as a writer. If this isn't the perfect example of white male privilege within the video game industry, you will not be able to find another. It's just impossible. And I don't know if it's because this guy was a co-finder of the company or what have you. There is no one above him to fire. I, I really don't know. You know. I don't know how this company is structured. But the fact that you have a man who is responsible for, I mean, that's massive ton- turnover. That's an average of seven employees per year, 15 employees quitting within two years. He was so horrible that your hiring team was afraid to hire more women, which our industry desperately needs more of because of because of the fear that they had for how this man would treat them. And he was still not fired from this job. He was just demoted 
to a writer, but still works for the company. Like I said, there isn't a better example of male privilege than that. Now, moving on to Activision Blizzard, we're just going to go over a few things that happened last week. We still have to talk about Activision Blizzard because it's still the top news story of every week ever since this lawsuit came to surface, what was it, like three weeks ago. Now, they held an investor's call, which they did exactly what we all predicted they would do. They danced around the lawsuit. They continued claiming that their employees are important. And then, of course, they made absolutely zero commitments to changes or nor did they accept any accountability at all. Now, I titled last week's episode Fall Guys because it's usually a company's first response when allegations surface. When allegations surface, the first thing that they do is fire people, or excuse me, let me rephrase that. Not fire people, but just like Ubisoft, they quote, end quote, let people go, or these people decide to walk away from the company, which is a gorgeous way of saying, hey, If you leave, I'll be able to give you this much money. If you just leave quietly, I don't want to fire you because we're best friends and best buddies. That's how J. Allen Brack was able to walk away. And following him, Blizzard's SVP of Global HR, Jesse Meschuk, also left the company. Keyword, left the company. This man, just like J. Allen Brack, was not fired. Surprise, surprise. Now, the lawsuit has also led to a class action lawsuit, which covers anyone who has traded in Activision Blizzard security between August 4th, 2016 and July 2021, seeking damages based on the defendant's violations of federal securities laws by issuing materially false and misleading statements during the class action period. This is another sort of brick on Activision's Blizzard's back when it comes to how much they're drowning ever since this lawsuit came out. Uh, Obviously, now they are at risk of not being able to hire future talent, You have this other issue with uh, Blizzard, once uh, relegated as one of the greatest companies in our industry, just kind of their stock just keeps going down and down. Their literal Activision Blizzard stock is down, I think, about 10% ever since this happened. Uh, Obviously, you have to let these two people go. And now there is another lawsuit on top of the DF, was it DFEH? lawsuit from the state of california now we have a secondary lawsuit but this one represents basically the stockholders and what's interesting is actually is being filed by rosen law firm and that's the same la firm that is behind the class action lawsuit against cd project red and cyberpunk 2077 so this company is really going all in on video game companies another development yet another brick on this back is that last week, sponsors started pulling support from Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues. While T-Mobile didn't confirm it, their presence has pretty much disappeared from the leagues after the lawsuit was made public. They're no longer rolling ads. During um, the Overwatch league, I think if you go to the website, T-Mobile's not there. I think there was a story about the Call of Duty league that some players were... They, they were forced to put tape over T-Mobile logos. I guess T-Mobile just wanted immediately to get away from this. Kellogg's confirmed that they have pulled all sponsorship deals. Coca-Cola and State Farm have stepped back from sponsorships as they seek to reevaluate their relationship with Activision Blizzards. Um, and then we also had Jason Schreier releasing an article last week, really more details, uh, including this really crazy one that starts the article. Uh, it starts with employees not being given a reason why former Blizzard CTO Ben Kilgore left the company, but they immediately began to gossip since Kilgore presided over the most notorious group of sexist drinkers at the Irvine, California headquarters, 
where apparently sexism and drinking were rampant. Shortly afterward, they got a supposed explanation during a large staff meeting. Derek Ingalls, now head of the technology department, was asked why his former boss had left. Ingalls told a brief story that concluded with a strange piece of advice, quote, don't sleep with your assistant, but if you're going to sleep with your assistant, don't stop. And then throughout the article, they really go on to keep uh, a lot of women that came forward to speak to Jason Schreier kept pounding on kind of the same drum, which was Blizzard. The Blizzard's culture just basically um, a lot of the males within Blizzard had what they would call a rock star mentality where they felt they were un untouchable. You know, quote from Christina Mikkonen, not only could they tell you how to do your job, but they had so much power. They could do whatever they want in line of sight with their other powerful friends. Cher Scarlet, who worked at Blizzard for a year in 2015, said she was groped by male co-workers at two company parties. Quote, it didn't even occur to me that I should report this behavior because in my mind, this behavior was normal and protected here. Now, one thing that this article did bring up was that apparently former employees did confirm to Jason Schreier that the Cosby suite was in fact nicknamed because of the carpet in the room resembling Cosby sweater. Obviously, still looks really bad at context now, looking back at, back at it in 2021, but it still doesn't change the uh, the culture that still was allowed to fester inside of that suite and obviously work hand in hand with everything else that we know about the company. And as I said, most of the article reinforces culture that we've now learned was the norm at Blizzard. It was a male-driven environment where men vastly outnumbered women where they were allowed to wield power and influence unchecked. And um, I think I've brought this up every single time that I talk about any of these articles that come out about uh, wrongdoing within a company, uh, whether that's crunch or whether it's uh, sexism and harassment, uh, you know, even talking about that Fulbright story where it wasn't about specifically about sexism and harassment, but more about belittling and not treating women equally as you, uh, excuse me, leaders not treating women equally compared to their male counterparts. And we also heard about that at, 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 uh, at Blizzard, men being paid more, men being given access to opportunities a lot faster, being promoted faster than women getting access to bigger bonuses and different types of stock options that females were not given access to. Um, and it's still kind of all the 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 common thread, you know, the the Venn diagram that one thing that exists in the middle of both of these circles is the um, the culture that's created, which is it, it's 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 like a weed in the garden. You know, if you don't nip it in the bud, you know, you turn around before you know it, you'll come back and your garden will be infested. And that's really what this is about and this can and does happen in any any company in the world and it's probably happening at your favorite publisher right now if you're sitting here and looking back at you know blizzard and saying to yourself well you know it's a great uh i'm lucky that i'm a fan of playstation or i'm a fan of nintendo because these types of things wouldn't happen there or xbox and it's probably because you just haven't heard about it I can tell you with the utmost certainty that um, there are 
thousands of stories out there that just have not been told yet. And they're usually rooted in the same thing. Number one is the culture that is created that normalizes that type of behavior. So if you look at that quote from Cher Scarlett, where she says, it didn't even occur to me that I should report this behavior. In my mind, this behavior was normal and protected here, which is basically a way of saying that you, the way a company can get you as an employee to the point where you feel so powerless that you just don't see the point of even trying to make a change or even organize some sort of change with other employees. And this is a combination between uh, leaders and gang mentality and men working together to protect one another. Uh, the other thing that facilitates this type of culture is human resources. Human resources in companies, it's unfortunately, it is a, it's one of those lessons in life that you have to learn the hard way where I think I grew up viewing human resources the same way that I think a lot of people and typical employees look at human resources, which is we tend to look at human resources. And even me and, and companies that I've worked for, you know, I've, I've been a leader at GameStop. I've been a leader at Nintendo in my previous employment. And even I would look at human resources as something that sort of existed outside of the company, something that when I looked at human resources, it was literally a resource that was looking out for the employee's best interest. It was almost like a department that existed within the company, but sort of existed outside of it at the same time, right? So when I worked at GameStop or I worked at Nintendo, I would always tell my employees the same thing when I was a leader, which is, hey, if you have an issue with another employee, it could be anything, anything at all, especially when it comes to harassment, please come to me. If for any reason you do not feel comfortable coming to me, then absolutely please go to human resources and I would provide them with that phone number. Because at that point in time, I, along with a lot of probably millions of leaders and millions of employees around the world, have that same mentality where we have been fooled into thinking that human resources has our best interests in mind, when in reality, human resources within a company only have that company's best interests in mind. And their job really is to um, minimize the damage that a company can take. Like really their job as human resources is to mitigate and minimize the amount of damage that can be levied against an employee on behalf, excuse me, that can be levied against an, a, a company on behalf of an employee, which is why you notice that a lot of human resources, they'll um, usually always do phone calls. You know, there's really not uh, a recorded public record unless you take that record yourself of creating a paper trail, you know, human resources will never email you as an employee and say, Hey, here are the things that we discuss and then outline the entire conversation. It's really up to you as an employee to protect your own ass and, uh, create a paper trail and send it to human resources and say, Hey, these are the things that we discuss. Is there anything in here that's wrong? Please let me know. Right? So it's almost that extra step that you have to take. And it was a lesson that 
I learned the hard way because I saw people that I was close with, friends that were close to me that I told them to go to human resources. And then I would see how they were treated by human resources within a company. And then me, myself, it's almost, you know, I realized that it was almost, um, how do you say it? I was gaslighting people that I cared about because I would look at them like they were crazy. Like, no, human resources on your side. What are you talking about? This is why these, uh, these companies exist. This is why these things happen. And then, you know, it happened to me personally. I realized is how easy it was for my leader to push through lies about me. And then me finding out that other people in the company, of course, since all the information they were getting about me was filtered to this one person, it was easy for that person to lie. And it was easy for them to trust their word um, over mine because that was really the way that the company was structured. And um, as I said, all of these things really work together to unfortunately create this, this dynamic where it really is, you know, a gang mentality. Like that's really what these companies are about. You know, if you ask any New Yorker, hey, what's the biggest gang in New York? Any real New Yorker would always answer the same. There's only one right answer to that question. The right answer is the NYPD. The NYPD is the biggest gang in New York City. That's a perfect way to tell someone is a New Yorker. Ask them that question. What's the biggest gang in New York? If they say anything other than the NYPD, they're not, they're not a true New Yorker. Every, every New Yorker knows that. And the reason why is really this gang mentality where you will always put your fellow officers first. You'll put them before morality. You'll put them before your own humanity. You'll put them over your own soul. You see it happen with Republicans, for example, even, you know, anything where you attach yourself to anything else, there will always be sort of that gang mentality. And um, that's really how these companies are able to get away with what they get away with for so long. And, um, you know, the one thing I'm still seeing about this Activision Blizzard story is a lot of people asking themselves, but what can I do? What's the solution to this? How can I... What can I do as a player, right? And um, I'll tell you a few things you could do. Number one, as I said earlier, boycotts just don't work. The only way, in my opinion, that boycotts would work uh, in order, in, in terms of getting a company to really realize like, shit, this is really affecting us is number one, we've reached a point in human history where money is the only way to get companies to change. Uh, once again, losing a couple of players is not that big of a deal. You know, complaining and telling a company you're going to boycott, you know what that's like? That's like watching a customer at a retail store say, you know what? I'm, I'm leaving you a bad Yelp review and I'm never coming here again. If you work retail, you know you're going to laugh at that customer as they walk out because you say to yourself, oh, wow, big shit. If you leave, we're going to all of a sudden close down. Oh, my God, my business is over. You're basically at a smaller scale. You're saying exactly what a lot of these companies are saying. Oh, boo hoo. You're not going to play Pokemon Go anymore. I don't give a fuck. Tomorrow, I have a thousand new players for these 10 people that have decided to leave my game. I, don't, I could give two shits about you. <laughs> and that's really where these companies are going. That's where they're heading. Boycotts, in my opinion, don't work. The only boycott that will work is influencers. You have to get influencers to do it. 
And it's unfortunate where you have Warzone players that would that will leave the game faster because of hackers and not leave the game because they want to make a statement and say, hey, I know, I mean, some of the top streamers right now on Twitch all play Call of Duty Warzone. Um, some of them play Warcraft. Some of them, some of them play Overwatch. You know, how many of them are willing to basically sacrifice a substantial um, excuse me a substantial chunk of their revenue in order to do something for what would what we would look at as the greater good which is hey if, if these 10 streamers would stop playing warzone and publicly make that statement of saying we are not playing warzone until activision blizzard addresses these concerns that employees have remember employees put out four bullet points of the changes that they wanted to see and Activision Blizzard hasn't addressed any of them so them losing sponsorships for Overwatch League and Call of Duty League that's more powerful than a boycott um another lawsuit is more powerful than a boycott um more people speaking up more articles from Different websites digging deeper. We saw IGN do it last week. Uh, excuse me, the week before last. Jason Schreier and Bloomberg did it last week. All of these are much more impactful than a player-led boycott because, as I said, it's just too easy for people to cross that virtual picket line, especially in the in, in you know in the world of anonymity. Right? It's not like you know people are going to be thinking to themselves like, "Oh shit, I could get away with." going to catch that shiny pocky and no one's going to stop me you know it's, it's just too easy boycotts just don't don't work anymore because companies just have too much power in that the only way that it will be affected really would be once again influencers um but as i said earlier when i was talking about nintendo or excuse me when i was talking about niantic and pokemon go money is king cream Cash rules everything around me. And there are a lot, and you, you see them left and right. There are a lot of uh, streamers that can make an absolute impact. You know, that have these massive platforms. You know, if Dr. Disrespect steps forward, one of Call of Duty's biggest influencers and says... I am not, I refuse to play Warzone. I'm going to play Apex Legends from now on. The next Call of Duty, if I get invited to the event, I am not going. Uh, I'm not covering Call of Duty anymore until that company addresses these concerns from employees. Imagine if, what was his name? Asmund Gold, I think, World of Warcraft's biggest streamer. Uh, same thing go with some of Overwatch's biggest streamers, even Overwatch players themselves. Um... You know, they have this power, but in order to exchange that, they have to be willing to lose money. And what's weird is that there are a lot of people that look at employees and they'll say, well, if if shit was that bad at Blizzard, why didn't you leave? That's such a horrible thing to levy at an employee for so many reasons. Number one, you'd have absolutely no idea what that employee is going through. Number two, you think it's super fucking easy to just replace a job. It's not, especially now in the year 2021. You have no idea how much of that man or woman's life they had to uproot in order to move to a different state in order to get this job. 
Um, we're now in this point because of the pandemic where some publishers are opening up to remote, remote work, but we're not there yet as an industry. It's not that simple. If someone were to quit from Activision Blizzard, it's not that easy to get another job within that same state. Usually you will have to be willing to move once again, which is more times than not, not an option, especially if you have an, a, a family, especially if you have kids in school. Um, you know, if these people choose to boycott and they say, hey, we're stopping work until you guys do this, um, most companies will be able to wait longer than their employees. They'll be able to, you know, wait it out, you know? And um, that's really not an option. But for a streamer like Ninja or Shroud or Dr. Disrespect, some of these guys generate a minimum hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a month. I think they'd be okay with not having Activision money. I think they'd be all right. But honestly, they're it looks like they're just not willing to risk it. They look at it and say, shit, when I play Call of Duty, I get fifty thousand viewers. When I play Apex, I only get twenty thousand. That's a big difference. That's a lot of money I'm losing per month. And it's sort of similar to Niantic. Like your good jobs, your hearts and your damn doctor disrespect. I can't believe you did that. Can't believe you stood up for those employees. You're doing the right thing. Unfortunately, doing the right thing is not going to get doctor disrespect another Lamborghini. The thing that's going to get doctor disrespect another Lambo or be able to get uh, some of these other big influences, a, a bigger house or put their kids to the best school that they possibly can is to continue playing Call of Duty. And um, that's it. You know, really, when it comes down to it, we've um, we've unfortunately reached this point, especially here in the United States of America, where more and more people just aren't satisfied. They aren't satisfied. They just want more and more and more and more. If I'm a millionaire, I can't just be a millionaire. I need two million. I need three million. And they're not willing to sacrifice that, even if it means, you know, potentially creating an amazing work environment for thousands of men and women. Um, they're just not willing to, to make that sacrifice, I guess. So obviously we'll have to keep on hearing uh, about Activision Blizzard and see what's happening, but it's good that their stock is down. It's good that they're losing these sponsorships, but honestly it's not looking very good because the people with the loudest voices and the biggest speakers those influences, those Twitch streamers that have millions of followers um, that literally impact the launch of video games nowadays, um, they can all right now just go over to Splitgate. Splitgate is pretty fun. A lot of people are talking about it. Go play Splitgate for a few weeks. Stop playing Warzone. They're just not willing to do it. I hope that they do because it would keep this front of mind. It would keep everyone talking about this this week's high releases today august 9th hellblade senua sacrifice receives a next-gen update for xbox series x tomorrow august 10th we have godfall for playstation 4 for some stupid reason august 12th art of rally switch xbox one xbox series x that is also coming to game pass naraka blade point coming to pc august oh, excuse me also on august 12th and then august 13th we have hades Finally coming to PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and it will also be on Game Pass Day 1. 
Time to wrap it up. These are stories we didn't have time to get to. Apparently, Take-Two Interactive is working on three unannounced iterations of previously released titles. A lot of people are talking about the GTA 3 remake that has been rumored for this year to release coincide with its 20th anniversary, which is October 22nd. As I said, I'm not holding my breath when it comes to anything Grand Theft Auto. Um, but hopefully it's one of those three. My dream remaster from Take-Two in terms of properties that they now own after buying Rockstar has to be Max Payne Trilogy remaster. We need it. Everybody needs it. Please give us a Max Payne Trilogy remaster. Some new PlayStation VR 2 rumors were making the rounds last week, such as the headset utilizing an OLED display and HDR. But one of the more interesting rumors is the claim that Sony is moving away from VR experiences in favor of a greater focus on console quality AAA games. These are This is one of the many drums I've been beating on here on Camp Koji. If you listen to this um, podcast religiously, first of all, thank you. Second of all, you know that I've been talking about that this is the direction that Sony needs to head in in order to stay ahead of a company like Facebook and Oculus. It looks like Valve is no longer very interested in VR, HP, all these other companies dip their toes. It's not like they're willing to put their whole leg in that pool. Sony is ready and willing to dive headfirst into it. It's something that doesn't look like Xbox is interested in doing. So this is just another amazing avenue for PlayStation to have that's almost like having something to themselves. And they have to start considering full-fledged AAA experiences, very similar to what Hitman 3 did, having these two things. That's why I talked about, I, I would put my money on it. A PSVR 2 launch title will definitely be Resident Evil Village. There's no way that that's not going to be a launch title for PSVR 2. And who knows anything else that they'll come up with, but definitely they need to get their biggest studios working on VR experiences. Um Last week, Ariana Grande became the second artist after Travis Scott to have an elaborate concert thrown inside Fortnite. Once again, just absolutely amazing work from the artists and animators and producers at Fortnite. To me, it's really reached this point where I think Epic needs to create a second company at this point. I know that they do have a little bit of a Metacritic division inside of Epic Games, but I think it's almost gotten to this point where they need to create a separate company to start working on experiences like this um this is just the way that the future is heading and i think they need to to focus on continuing to expand this technology i thought it was amazing there was this really cool tribute rest in peace to you know one of my favorite rappers mac miller uh there was a part in this concert where ariana grande is kind of walking up these steps to heaven and and it was an obvious tribute to uh, Mac Miller, who passed away. So I thought that was really amazing. But watching that, it, it you know, you're almost putting on this showcase for other artists to tell them, let me show you a way to um, sort of present your album and present your music in a way that is impossible for you to do in a concert, right? So the experience that Fortnite was able to deliver with Travis Scott and Ariana Grande, you have these two examples you can now take further to other artists to show them not only are you creating experience that your viewers will be unable to get anywhere else. I mean, to physically build something like this is nigh impossible. You're also able to have a simultaneous concert with more seats than any other, uh, um, than any arena in the world is able to fill. 
and you're able to do this multiple days. You don't even have to be performing uh, because all this stuff is is uh, pre-recorded. I think it's amazing. I think their next steps is to bridge the gap between the artists and the performance. Their next rumored artist is going to be Jay Balvin, which I think is really, really smart uh, in order to bring in that Spanish demographic in. Jay Balvin is one of the, the biggest artists in the world. I think at some point, I remember I, I, before I said that there, there would definitely be a Daft Punk concert. Obviously, they split up, but I'm still holding on to that. But I wouldn't be surprised if they try to, you know, I would definitely be working on a deal with BTS at this point. Um, but yeah, this is kind of one of those things where, um, once again, sorry, this is uh wrap it up. <laughs> I should be talking as much about it, but uh, they have to bridge the gap between artists and show. I want to see more behind the scenes. I want to know how involved are artists in, uh, excuse me, how involved are artists when it comes to these experiences? Um, I want to hear them talk a little bit more about this type of experience, um, working with the Fortnite team to put on these types of concerts. I want to see them moving more towards trying to put a live element into it. You know, they had live DJs, but these elaborate concerts are not live. Ariana Grande and Travis Scott not performing live. I would like to see them um, doing a little bit more of that in the future. But um, yeah, just, just being much more aggressive with something like that, which is why I think that they should have just like literally a separate part of the company for this. It's, it, it's the future. This is going to be the future. I've been talking about this in the metaverse. I'll see you in 10, 15 years when Joel's going to be 100% right. And last but not least, during an earnings call with investors, EA CEO Andrew Wilson confirmed that they are looking at Battlefield 2042 as a service and that EA is considering avenues that Battlefield has not reached, such as mobile and free-to-play. Uh, 100%. Couldn't agree more. This is the future of video games as... You know, that term games as a service has been like this yucky word for a lot of gamers, but that is the future of video games. That's the future of video game development. It's one and done. It's releasing one game and continuing to improve it and add to it. And um, mobile is another arm that you have to become prepared with uh, when creating a shooter and free to play. There has to be a free way for me to access your game. I think what EA did with Knockout City is the perfect balance. Knockout City is technically not free to play, but you can start for free until you get to, I think, level 15 or level 25. At that point, you will be asked to pay in order to continue playing. It's the absolute hook that every single game needs. Battlefield 2042 needs this. Even if it's only up until level five, even if it's only up to level 10, let people get in for free and, and then give them a reduced cost, maybe $59.99, for example. You need this. It is the quickest, fastest way outside of crossplay to get a player base done. You need this nowadays as more and more you're competing with Netflix, you're competing with these games like Splitgate that come out of nowhere that are free to play and are doing something very unique. Um, you just need it. Obviously, I've been talking about this a lot on this show. That's our show. Shout out to Trey Parker and Matt Stone. The South Park co-creators signed a new deal with Viacom CVS, reportedly worth roughly $900 million, along with new seasons and movies. An upcoming video game is also part of the deal and is currently in development. It is an internal development. It's self-funded by Matt and Trey, so Ubisoft will not be 
involved. I really, really loved those first two games. If you haven't played, you have to play them, even if you're not a huge South Park fan. But if you are a South Park fan, there's so many references to this show that you definitely, it, it is an absolute must-play game. Uh, so I'm really, really looking forward to this. I'm, I'm hoping that it's just as amazing as those first two. That's our show. Thank you so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I will see you all next week.